Hello and welcome to the Final Girls podcast. I'm Anna, co-founder of the Final Girls Collective and your awkward podcast host. We're a UK-based film collective exploring the intersections of horror film and feminism. We curate and organize events, screenings and programs and now also produce a podcast. In this episode in our series focused entirely on witches on screen, we discuss Maleficent and her different iterations. From the queenly, campy witch in Sleeping Beauty who got so offended she didn't get invited to a party that she cursed a baby, to the environmentalist fairy who swore revenge against the man who violated her and bonded with the very child she cursed. I'm joined by the brilliant film critic and broadcaster Rihanna Dillon, who loves all things Disney and has just published a video essay for BBC's Inside Cinema on Disney villains. So very appropriate. Beware, this episode will include spoilers for Sleeping Beauty, which is 60 years old to be fair, and Maleficent, with a bit of Maleficent Mistress of Evil, the sequel, thrown in. Rihanna, thank you so much for doing this. You are welcome. I'm very excited. I'm excited. It's so nice to host you as well. I know. First it's time in the weird. flat. Yeah. It's, it's, it's Delicious corn fritters. Good, good. I'm glad you like them. <laughs> I was like stinking. I was like smoking my boyfriend out of the flat basically <laughs> early when I was making them. So I'm glad it was worth it. Definitely worth it. I'm excited because this is sort of like a little bit of a cheat episode because... Mm-hmm. Maleficent is not strictly a witch, uh-huh. but I know you're a big fan of Disney films. I am. And she's not a witch, but, you know, it's all to do with magic, right? Yeah. So actually, I was going to ask you, do you think, especially because when we first meet Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty, mm-hmm. in the animated mm-hmm. feature, she's sort of presented as a witch. Like, we don't really Absolutely. meet her as a dark fairy. Yeah. Do you remember kind of your initial vision of Maleficent do you remember her being a witch before the film with Angelina Jolie came out yeah I would have always like even when you were sort of talking about it earlier about her being a fairy I was like oh shit yeah she's a fairy um not a witch and in my head I just always put her as being a witch because she is so separate from the three fairies that we see like Meriwether and Fauna and Flora so they're little tiny um sweet old ladies like just with wings uh like bumbling and yeah just very visually different and then Maleficent comes in and she's so imposing and tall completely different colors um like I remember from Sleeping Beauty watching it like you know I can't remember the first first time I watched it but it wasn't one that I had at home like on VHS so it probably was when I was maybe a bit older that I saw it but it was those the colors of Maleficent like the greens the blacks and the deep purples uh which that's what I think of when I think of Sleeping Beauty. Mm-hmm. She is the most iconic thing to come out of that film, I think. that's She's one of the most exciting villains. Those early Disney films, I'm not a fan of. Like Snow White as well, um, similarly. so I find it so boring. Um, but when you see the evil queen in Snow White, again, she's it's that fabulous purple colour as well. Mm. And uh, they're just so um, elegant and terrifying and... Yeah, they they real they really have a presence. I think more so than any of the other characters in those early Disney films. They just ooze power, don't yeah. they? Yeah, and like Maleficent when she shows up. Yeah, and I think in Sleeping Beauty, the first time she shows up is when she places the curse uh-huh. on the baby Aurora. Yeah, and it's just you know you know that she's coming before she even enters the room, mm-hmm. and everybody falls silent. Yeah, and it's just this very slick, imposing figure mm-hmm. with the 
with the amazing voice and the amber eyes as well and you kind of she's so sassy as well (laughs) she's like oh this is awkward (laughs) and when like what re-watching it like recently um because i had to re-watch it for something else and just when she says that when she's just like they're like you weren't wanted at mm. the uh, at the at the party, the christening, and uh, she's like, "Well, this is awkward," and just <laughs> so much sass in that sentence. A glittering assemblage, King Stephen. Royalty, nobility, the gentry, and <laughs> how quaint! Even the rabble. I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. You weren't wanted. Not what? Oh. oh dear! What an awkward situation. I had hoped it was merely due to some oversight. Like so much like restrained fury in mm. that. Um and it's it is it's a horrible thing to to say to someone when they're at a party, just mm. like actually you weren't wanted here, so mm. piss off. And it's it's a so you can sort of understand her anger, although I'll admit she goes quite over the top and then immediately cursing the child to die is <laughs> um, a bit of an extreme reaction i think oh uh, you know it is an awkward situation <laughs> but um can you give me a rundown of who maleficent is kind of you know because her the mythos of her has been so expanded with the 2014 live action mm-hmm. film and the sequel maleficent mistress of evil that came yeah. out quite recently so the idea of Maleficent sort of before Sleeping Beauty was that she was uh, in her like own right a queen and she was married uh, to the king who then cheated on her um, and started like a new family with this uh, younger princess. And in this sort of old iconic mythical story, he was the, he was the king who then raped this, this sleeping princess and uh she bore two children by him i think and uh it, so it's it's all it's kind of all got a bit muddled on the way out mm. and i don't think she was never called maleficent at that point i think it was actually sleeping beauty that gave her that name for the very first time um but it was all to do with like the sort of the jealousy tied up in her husband's betrayal uh so really kind of really horrible like dark stuff her husband leaves her for a younger woman um has children with her uh also i mean yeah problematic very problematic in its own right in the way that yeah he definitely rapes a sleeping woman um so yeah so that's kind of where the 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 story of maleficent sort of first comes uh into being i suppose and then later like with with sleeping beauty we don't we don't find out so much about maleficent's background which is why I was really intrigued by the film Maleficent. So you you do see her um, origin story, if you like, and you see her falling in love with Stefan. Is it Stefan or it's is it Stefan? Stefan. Stefan. Like Stefan James. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so American. Um, yeah, so uh, you see her, her and Stefan very much in love but then he sort of gets quite like power hungry and uh they they sort of go their separate ways and then um the king 
fight with Maleficent. I'm sorry, I'm doing this in a very like quick, mm. shortened way. Well, Stefan becomes king. Stefan, but even before that, mm. the the king sort of fights um, Maleficent for the Moors, mm. and uh, and then she defeats him. And so he says that the the man who can kill Maleficent will be his successor, will marry his daughter. And so Stefan, who by this point is quite like megalomaniacal decides to go for Maleficent and can't quite bring himself to kill her but instead cuts off her wings and presents them to the king uh, which is enough and uh, that's like the ultimate ultimate betrayal for poor Maleficent uh, which is why she then curses his daughter uh, later on and then you see so much more of like her grief her watchfulness over um, the princess Princess Aurora and her falling in love with this child and her regret at what she's done. She tries to take it back. So you see a totally different side to Maleficent. So much more context, so much more of an interesting character than we've been presented before. But there's something that kind of remains there even from kind of the original source material like you were describing there is you know when she gets her her wings cut off by Mm. Stefan in the live action film that is such a horrible harrowing scene and Mm -hmm. it's such an allegory for rape as well where you know she's so violated by this man that she trusted Mm -hmm. and in the film they're presented as kind of having a a lovely childhood um affair in Mm -hmm. a way so they grow up together they sort of fall in love it's very romantic you know the reference even when she curses aurora saying that she could only be waken up by true love's kiss is also a a throwback to something that they had exchanged Mm -hmm. so the betrayal the anger that she feels is so you know justified might not be the appropriate word but you can feel her pain and it's this really horrible scene where she wakes up and she realizes what's happened Mm -hmm. and then when she walks back kind of sort of almost limping Mm -hmm. into her layer Mm. which you know has negative Negative connotations yeah but in this it's yeah yeah it's animalistic yeah because she's you know she's kind of living in the woods exactly but also when she realizes what it was for there's this horrible line that she almost says to herself where she was like he did this to me so he would be king Mm -hmm. and it's so heartbreaking yeah so kind of do you think that um the kind of the wronged woman theme is something that is quite usual in these types of films, especially kind of when we're talking about witches as the ultimate childhood villain. Mm. So I'm thinking kind of of Disney films, but of other films that are oriented at children like the witches, like Hocus Pocus, mm-hmm. where they're presented as very villainous, but there is an underlying kind of rage that sort of seems justified in some way. As a victim, she's a, a victim when she has her wings cut off and her way of getting revenge is to um, is to do that against another woman, mm. which I think is really interesting mm. uh, because it's obviously Stefan. She doesn't just go for Stefan. She goes for another woman, which will hurt him, but will also in turn hurt this girl. Uh, and so, and that so that sort of female on female violence mm. uh, is something that I think we do see a lot of. We see um, like women pitted against each other so much, uh, with men sort of just almost being the bystanders, whether or not they've been inv- 
like often when they have been involved but you'll hear like so many people sort of in in terms of like a cheating for example mm. where they'll they'll blame the other woman instead of the man who is doing the cheating and in this day and age and like with conversations with friends or you know in storylines on tv especially if somebody is married for example and they'll they'll blame the woman who went after the married man instead of the married man for going outside of you know his marriage um so i think that's really interesting in itself that they they really sort of hone in on that and then of course uh, go back they kind of renege on um everything that they've done by maleficent realizing that it was stefan all along she shouldn't have gone after this innocent child um so that in itself is really interesting the wronged woman mm. i just uh, yeah i find really fascinating because if you look at like the evil queen in snow white as well the her, it all stems from jealousy it's all about this younger more beautiful woman snow white who is you know impeding on her territory and um I, that again is something that sort of taps into what we're told the female psyche is mm. again it's pitting women against women it's interesting that there aren't that sort of many male villains in that in that sort of princess world. It is usually older women like Ursula, the sea witch. Again, jealousy sees this beautiful young woman, Ariel, uh, who anybody would fall in love with. And Prince Eric does at first sight. And then she can't bear that. And so, uh, yeah, has to has to have her little slice. Um, of the action so yeah it's always like women against women um instead of looking at the situations in which they've sort of become the people that they are mm. and let's be honest so often like ursula is kind of put there by king trident um and uh maleficent is put there by stefan it's always men but instead they go after the daughters the young beautiful women well it's interesting that you bring up ursula as well because I yes, love Ursula. I'm always going to bring her up me in too. any conversation. Me too. <laughs> Disclaimer: Little Mermaid, my favorite Disney film. Is it? Obsessed with Ursula. <laughs> also, she may or may not have looked exactly like my grandmother. <laughs> oh my god, your grandmother looked like divine. That's crazy. Yeah, she did. <laughs> always had the full red lips. Always the big the ass big, yeah. pompadour yeah. that she sort of like used to dye purplish as well amazing like a purple rinse <laughs> yeah love it. yeah um <laughs> but i digress <laughs> it's interesting that you bring up ursula being wronged by king triton and taking that out on ariel and maleficent taking it on aurora as well because it sort of taps into this particular trope that we see a lot in witch films is that their victims are all usually children mm-hmm. and they very explicitly don't like children mm. They hate them. They want to hurt them, which seems so um, controversial and subversive because, you know, we're fed this line that every single woman, just by the definition of being a woman, has to have a maternal instinct. And if you don't, there's something wrong with Mm -hmm. you. Um, And the witch kind of seems to completely throw that in the face of kind of the norm. Um, So it's really interesting that even to hurt the the men that have Mm -hmm. hurt them, they go after this the child the child in that situation because that is the ultimate taboo yeah the young innocent and by innocent virgin child it's it's fascinating it's it just if yeah the psyche of that is fucked up and i love it there's a scene in maleficent as well where she where baby aurora sees her and confronts her which is also played by angelina's actual real life daughter yeah and she just goes, 
ew. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like children. <laughs> and I love that. I know. It's great. But what I also really like is that, you know, like mothers always have pet names for their children. And Maleficent, as she becomes more and more fond of Aurora, mm. also has a pet name for her, which is Beastie. <laughs> I just love I just, and that carries on to the second film as well mm. and it's it becomes like such a term of endearment it's really lovely and especially when Angelina Jolie says it like <gasps> but there is <laughs> God, can you say it again <laughs> in Maleficent she does end up becoming so fond and protective of Aurora as well which feels in the same way as the witch sort of um, is subversive in the sense because she doesn't like or want children mm-hmm. and is not opposed to hurting them. Yeah. Um, Maleficent ends up falling in love and developing really protective motherly like feelings for Aurora. So kind of what did you think about that, that relationship? Because that's very much the center of the film. Well, it's really interesting that to protect Aurora, she's sent away from her parents to live, you know, under the guidance of the the bumbling fairies. Um, Weird upbringing. I feel like she would not have been that normal (laughs) under the guidance of those three. But um, so she, she is essentially motherless. And and again, I mean, that whole trope in Disney full stop goes on and on, you know, because of uh, Walt Disney's own mother dying. So the the sort of motherless um, child who then Maleficent falls in love with because she sees how good, how much care she takes in the environment around her. And I think that's what's, it's such a modern take, isn't it? Because Maleficent is a proper like extreme environmentalist and she wants to protect um like nature and I mean you know there are people that would argue you know what is more natural than being a mother um I think that is like an argument you hear a lot so there is that idea that because she is so animal animalistic in so many ways I mean look at her sort of her cheekbones and you know her eyes as well and her wings of course and then her horns you know these are all really really I mean she's still incredibly beautiful I don't know how they've made her so animalistic and so humanly beautiful at the same time because she's so animalistic in that sense I think there is that idea of um it kind of it's like a sort of you know like in the jungle book or like animals taking um under their wing other cubs that have maybe been rejected by other like animal packs and it sort of reminded me of that a little bit of just he's her they're not of the same ilk but she still takes her under her wing because she can see something in her that she she doesn't have that same connection with her own parents because she doesn't know who they are. And whereas Maleficent has been sort of around her whole life, has been watching her grow and has realised that their um, mentality around about the environment is very, very similar. And yeah, just how alike they really are. Because that relationship and that love for Aurora really softens her as a character, as a villain. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think that's to the detriment of Maleficent as a character? Oh, that's really interesting. To her detriment, I don't know. I think because they we see a little bit more of her background. She's much. She's more humanized. You know, she's we see her in a much more human way. Uh, so if you want to just take her as a sort of two D villain, and that's the trouble with I think the early Disney's especially is that it, everything is very two dimensional, very black and white, good versus evil, uh, which is fine. That's not problematic in itself. Like so, you know, it was 
it, they were still incredibly iconic classic films. But if we're going to sort of apply today's thinking to those films, then then yeah, I think it's I don't think it's detrimental at all. I think it's really exciting that we do get to see a female woman who was always perceived as a villain to actually be um, humanized through, I guess, becoming a mother. Um, but it is there is that element of me that's just like. Ugh. Did it have to be about her being a mother though? That's a little bit like motherhood will sort you out. Yeah. <laughs> Which I don't I don't really like that message. Um, again, in this day and age, where it's like people, a lot of people are gonna choose not to be mothers or can't be mothers. So I don't think that's necessarily the, the best message in the world, but equally, I, you know, I don't want to be too overly PC about it. And I do really love the idea of like the sort of mother-daughter bond being true love compared to uh, you know a, a 16 year old boy that she sets her eyes on once you know yeah I do love in Maleficent that the prince prince charming or prince you know. philip is it whatever I think the it's prince. prince philip yeah the, you know the, the blandest prince in the whole fucking world exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> who does the least possible amount of anything really in the film he is so sidelined i love that it's like yeah. oh it's just a harry styles looking pretty boy over there and that's fine we don't really need him to do much else it's about the girls yeah in maleficent it really which I is. Love. It is yeah and also kind of you know stefan is is the actual villain yes, in the piece which is great yeah i love it and even kind of his love for his daughter is you know oh yes sure he's reformed with age and whatnot but he got into a position of power through mm -hmm. the various means mm -hmm. and off the back of a woman yeah. of maleficent and he should pay for that i really and love the does. word nefarious Oh, it's great <laughs> yeah. just admiring that uh, <laughs> yeah i think it's i think i think mm, Again, I think this, okay, so, I'm, so I get slightly frustrated with the Maleficent films because I think at the heart of it, there is some this brilliant story, actually, and mm. um, really interesting conversations to be had around it. But I think the films themselves aren't executed to the best of, mm -hmm. I think, what Disney can be with those live action old t fables and tales, mm -hmm. I think. Because often the acting isn't great. They've got a lot of Americans putting on English accents which don't work. Or, you know, the younger actors who don't perhaps have so much experience just don't convince. Mm. I think Prince Philip especially. Um, I mean, I think Sam Riley as, mm. I can crow. never pronounce this name, Diavel. Is it just Diavel? Yeah. I just call him the crow. Fine. Yeah. The side, the crow sidekick. Yeah. Uh, I think he's brilliant in this. I think he's sort of like the glue that binds it all together. Mm -hmm. And again, his um, uh, character arc is is so different from when he in in the animated film in Sleeping Beauty. He is just like the sort of evil crow. Um, but in this, he has so much more depth and love, and um, He's so fond of Aurora as well. I just, yeah, I think that sort of partnership is really lovely. I'm really glad that they did that the way they mm. did. So let's talk about, since you started talking about performances, let's talk about Angelina. What okay. do you think about her performance? Um, I think we have to start with her look because it is Ooh, the most yeah. iconic thing about her, about that film, about halloween about everything like it's just amazing i can't take my eyes off her when she's dressed like that there's like a really great time lapse video on um youtube if you've seen it about uh how she, you know just her sitting in the makeup chair and then getting ready over a minute it's insane the kind of stuff they have on there like the hot the razor sharp cheekbones and those horns the way they're fitted it's just really mesmerizing to watch and 
again because she is she's so beautiful to look at um so again we we this is changing the idea of like the old crone or the kind of terrifying you know she's imposing but she's not terrifying to Mm -hmm. look at um so yeah i think she they do a really great job with her when you see her when she's younger as well Mm. and those kind of like earthy tones like really trying to emphasize how much she belongs in that environment of the moors uh, which again isn't scary that Mm. that whole idea of her lair is because she's belongs in that world because she is part animal um and she's alluring but she's not um sexualized yeah which is quite interesting and she's imposing but she's also not a young girl Mm -hmm. or kind of um you know not presented you know we see her grow up but then because she doesn't age in the same way as humans she's always sort of you know sort of an adult woman but of an unspecified age but which means that she's she's fully formed. She's an adult. Mm-hmm. She's like ostensibly middle aged, or even you know hundreds of years old mm-hmm. or something. Mm-hmm. He isn't presented as you know as a kind of youngish twenty something year old girl. Well, yeah, she's a mature woman, yeah. and that sort of almost makes her. I don't know what the word is. Just kind of makes her exist in its own different plane, mm-hmm. where she's not chasing beauty or youth. Yeah, because she sort of exists as this other creature. Yeah. That's a really good point, actually. I hadn't really thought about that. But you're right, because she's she's not envious of mm. Aurora in any way. That was never... Whereas I think you can argue that the Maleficent of old perhaps was, because, mm. you know, this new baby was invited with open arms into this world, a world that rejected her for being different. Mm. And in the same way, like, with the, with the evil queen and Ursula, like that, they... I mean, Ursula, again, has to she takes the form of a human to have to have to feel like she belongs or to feel wanted uh, or to feel loved Whereas, to manipulate eric yeah and uh maleficent doesn't feel the need to do that she's mm. very sort of like proud like there's a great bit in the second the beginning of the second film where she has to go and meet the parents of prince philip in the role of like a mother to aurora and she's determined to go in with all her glory and her horns and and they ask her, she, like Aurora sort of gives her a scarf to cover herself up. And it is such a heartbreaking moment because you think out of everyone, Aurora understands. And there's still that thing of, oh, you look a bit different. You might frighten them. Can you, can you possibly cover up? Yeah. And I think you can tell that she sort of then quite immediately regrets it, but it still happens. Mm. And so that sort of bringing Maleficent down to like that human level of wanting to hide your differences. Mm. And she'd never felt the need to do that before. So yeah, that's a really good point. Which that's such an excellent point of kind of, and it's such a, a thing that you can see in a lot of different films. And even, you know, you can extend that into witches on screen in general, mm. where, oh, you need to hide who and what you are yeah. and hide your magnificence mm-hmm. in order to not make other people uncomfortable. Yeah instead of having them rise up yeah fuck that we told that all the time yeah. but it's it kind of continuing on your thought about her look and how she's yes. characterized can we talk about her voice uh-huh go on it's so iconic <laughs> and it's interesting that you bring up kind of you know american actors doing british accents yeah. because she sort of teeters on the edge of britishness yeah i think it's not perfect but actually we forgive her we forgive her so much, um, Angelina Jolie, full stop, because I, d- I think she can do anything. I must say, I really felt quite distressed at not receiving an invitation. 
You're not welcome here. <laughs> oh dear. What an awkward situation. But you're not offended? Why, no. When it's Elle Fanning, I think I, I was like less forgiving of it. I don't know why, that's really mean. But um, maybe it was just a bit too simpering and a bit too uh, transatlantic for me to fully get on board with the fact that this was a British princess. Mm. I think I, you know, again, where you have Maleficent who is has been made to be such an interesting complex character then in the later films, Aurora is still just very good and sweet and naive and I suppose vanilla uh, yeah and I just wanted her to have a little bit more of an edge like mm. that British edge I guess yeah. um I think it's still a very Americanized idea of a princess mm. I think a little bit more sass would have been quite fun yeah but there's also kind of that very imposing cackle and laugh that uh, she has you know, oh my god I love that it's yes. so good you know I was watching the this curse scene mm-hmm. because in the sleeping beauty animated film and in maleficent it's yeah. kind of done very similarly mm-hmm. and i love even the way that she comes into the room you know there's this great big um wind that kind of <laughs> sweeps everyone off their feet and <laughs> yeah. the kind of the three nice air quotes here fairies yeah. are kind of um you know blown out mm-hmm. and we just see her shadow come in her shadow is exactly the same as her silhouette in the animated <laughs> film and i love that that subtle detail great detail uh but then when she comes in you know when she's sort of sassing about and she's laughing mm-hmm. and it's just so imposing because everybody's absolutely shitting themselves yeah and she's mocking them yeah and you know she the, knows her power yeah and the witch's cackle as well is something that comes up so very often mm-hmm. in all of these films both mm-hmm. the ones that are targeted at children like these are um and full-on horror films and kind of in general you know if you hear a cackle there's yeah. like a malevolence yeah, to it absolutely and I remember reading quite a few interviews with Angelina Jolie who said that the thing that she was most worried about capturing mm-hmm. well was Maleficent's voice. Right, okay. Because it was so iconic. That's really interesting because um, Eleanor Audley, who plays Maleficent in the animated version, also, I think a lot of people know this, played Lady Tremaine in Cinderella as well. And I remember recognising, like just, just knowing Lady Tremaine, because I had, Cinderella was one of my favourites growing up. But Lady Tremaine, again, it's, um, she's not a witch. She doesn't count in that sort of universe. She's still the villain, but she's not a witch. But she might as well have been, because she has all of the same qualities. And that voice was so horrifying, especially because it was so it calm. There is so much sort of fear that comes with somebody speaking very calmly in a terrifying situation. If someone's threatening you and they're shouting, they've kind of lost control a little bit by by sort of like flipping all that on its head, by laughing in a situation that is definitely not funny or by speaking in a very measured way at a time when other people are panicking around you that is so so frightening it really kind of flips all your idea of what is going on in the world that's such an interesting point because it taps it just instantly made me think of mary beard's women in power 
Oh yes, where yeah, she yeah. talks about kind of the female voice as not being uh, recognized as powerful very mm-hmm. often. So that kind of being very difficult because of you know maybe a higher pitch that women have when yeah. they're speaking, that it's not kind of been positioned traditionally, even you know kind of in the cl- so she's a classics professor, so kind of in classic literature and in theater. That was not presented as a com- of a commanding mm-hmm. sound or a mm-hmm. commanding voice. So even the kind of us talking about how measured and oozing power yeah. Maleficent's voice is a lot of it is kind of comes back to that. You know, once she goes into a room and starts speaking, mm-hmm. everybody shuts the fuck up. Yeah, because it's not sh- like her laugh isn't mm. a shrill because that, that witch's cackle is often so shrill, but hers isn't. It has this quite like deep rich tones so to it mocking still. as well it is yeah. very deliberate yeah even that sass that you were talking about earlier mm-hmm. in sleeping beauty where she comes in it's so devastating because it's so mocking of yeah. everyone in the room yeah because she's mocking their fear of her but at the same time really making sure that they mm. are fearful of her. <laughs> so how do you think she fits into the other Disney witches that we've seen and grown up with. <laughs> um, I think she's. I mean, I think she's one of the most iconic looking for a start, um, because she, like I say, because of that that sort of animalistic look. I think each of, I her and the the evil queen have these great transformation sequences. So we see Maleficent in Sleeping Beauty transform into a dragon, uh, which is terrifying like it is so so frightening and we see the evil queen transform into an old hag so she's like a very beautiful woman transforming into an old um woman and i think even just that sort of advance from it being like oh you know maybe like this is frightening but maybe we you know it's just an old woman let's make this really scary and turn her into a dragon and so these i the all the transform and all the transformation sequences Ursula turning into a young woman, a young beautiful woman. Again, not nearly as scary as the dragon. Um, so yeah, I so I think in terms of that, she's so iconic, so frightening. Again, the colours that come with her. Um, I don't think any of the other films quite have those same tones that you associate with the villain in that same way. Um, I'm just trying to think of who the, who are the. I should get a list. And it's up. interesting that when you mention colors, I instantly think her powers are manifested as well through her color. Yeah. Because when she's um, raging, so after she gets her wings cut off by Stefan, mm-hmm. and when she's putting the curse on, and you know when she's performing magic, her powers are a very bright green. Mm-hmm. So that also kind of becomes you know you can actually see her yeah. power visualized through colors. In the color scheme is perfect as well. <laughs> I know that that's obviously like a hangover as well from the from the animated version. Mm. Yeah, that green, which kind of it's really nice to see it visually. Mm. I love seeing magic like that happen on screen. It's exciting. It's always going to be exciting. Magic is never going to be boring. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of uh, villains, not just Disney villains, but a lot of those witches kind of owe uh, a lot of their look and. Um, What's that word? It's like that sort of elegance, I think, that Maleficent has. I think they owe a lot to her. And um, have you seen, have you, seen you must have seen Stardust. Yeah. So, like, even, like, those sorts of films, like, with um, Michelle Pfeiffer, like, that sort of 
she is incredibly sassy and so knows how to wield her power um at any given moment like very manipulative um but I, I mean it's slightly different because again that does come back to jealousy and youthful good looks in the same way that hocus pocus does in the same mm-hmm. way that just so many of those uh do um but yeah i think just through the ages you can see the influence that maleficent has had on all of these uh women whether it's to go completely the opposite mm. uh, or not i'm just trying to get up a list of um disney villains so if we can see who mm-hmm. like works and who doesn't because actually there aren't as many witches in the disney canon as i think Mm. and i think it's because she has people like the evil queen and maleficent have so much power that you sort of you just associate them with the the classic disney villain Mm. even though you know those were some of the oldest ones they have like such longevity and people are still so afraid of them Mm. that all these years later you know a film is being made two films being made about We've skirted a little bit around it, but I want to bring it back to Angelina uh-huh. and kind of the importance of performing that mm-hmm. as well, because we talked about the look and the voice and, you know, embracing the iconography of the witch and kind of the influence that Maleficent in particular has had on other screen witches, both mm-hmm. across kind of more childhood or Disney type films, but across witches in general too. So kind of what did you think about Angelina's performance or embodiment of Maleficent? I really love how Angelina can go from innocent to malevolent really, really quickly. Um, and I don't I don't just mean from like one scene to another, but you absolutely believe her story arc because it's, it's so human. And because I think Angelina Jolie does a really good job with it, actually, with um, Maleficent, because you still want to be mothered by her. Even after everything that she goes through and puts Aurora through... I think that she portrays so much love and not in a not in an overly saccharine way she she can she holds back an awful lot I think her you know what we're saying about how imposing she is how measured as well I think she that kind of continues through after we have that sort of guttural um release and scream after her wings have been cut off it's like from that moment on she sort of really holds everything in there is so much going on under the surface you know she has those like amber eyes as well so i mean those are like flickering and burning and i think that's a really great way of telling us visually how much is going on under the surface of maleficent but angelina jolie knows that she she doesn't have to overact or to be extreme in her movements for us to be frightened because that's already been set up because we can see the reason why we can understand that violation that happened to her Mm. of course there was always going to be that anger and rage and then that very human u-turn of feeling guilty and regret and then how that develops into love i mean it's a huge arc that maleficent goes on and i think any given point in that film angelina jolie makes us understand why her character is feeling like that on the emotion where she is on the emotional scale Mm. and what do you think about kind of bringing in the action fantasy elements into that story because that's the thing that personally took me out a bit Mm -hmm. you know when she sort of changes in her her warrior outfit yeah which is pants (laughs) (laughs) it's pants it's pants it's pants leather pants Um, I think it's the same with, I feel like, with any big blockbuster. Like, look at the Marvel films. As soon as you go into 
a big battle sequence, it gets dull. Because we have seen it before as well. Um, and I think that's what I loved about Maleficent. I hadn't really seen this before. I hadn't seen that idea or that story arc before. And yeah, I have seen a battle scene. And so immediately I'm like, okay, your brain half switches off because you know exactly what to expect. And you know that Maleficent's not going to be defeated and you don't want her to be. Because you don't want her to be, you know, she's not, she won't be. Mm. Um, so it doesn't get... I suppose that peril is never 100% there in that scenario. Well, so that's not the witch's arsenal of powers. I don't want to see a witch kung fu fighting. I want to see her casting spells. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Like I said, magic is so exciting. And that's why I kind of, you know, I love that transformation in Sleeping Beauty because it was almost like everything that Philip was throwing at her, she was like, no, I am a witch. I can defeat this. And it was only with the other okay she was a fairy but the, you know the other sort of fairies powers that philip finally defeated her as the dragon so yeah i like i think it that the sleeping beauty that was like the one bit that they actually did really well if you think about like when sleeping beauty is hypnotized by maleficent it's literally four minutes of her walking up the stairs like chasing a green light uh towards the towards the spinning what's it called spindle Basically, it's really boring when you see Aurora walking towards this green light for, like as Maleficent is hypnotising her for four minutes because you don't really see Maleficent in that scene. It would have been so much more interesting if they had done something where we could visually see Maleficent and her power instead of just a green orb, um, which is why I really loved the scene where she turns into the dragon and all the thorns and everything like that, the fire uh, the physical like embodiment of the rage that she's feeling so yeah when you when you just see her in Maleficent as as she is it's not that exciting or frightening or different from what we've seen before we like to have our expectations upended which they do quite well throughout until they're mm. I think what's the most frightening thing about her for you I think when I was younger, I think the idea of the animation, it was always like I didn't understand her motivation. So that frightened me. Like, why? Why have you done this? Um, and then, so then in Maleficent, it's she has, <laughs> because you know her motivations and they're understandable, it's when she has, she gets this blank look in her eyes, like almost like when the shutters come down and you know that there's the sort of human side of her is going or is sort of like draining out. But it's always for a reason. It's always because of something that one of the humans has done, whether it's Aurora or Stefan or someone. But it's that sort of, again, that really animalistic element of Maleficent where you think the logic and the reasoning has vanished and you're just going on pure physical instinct and I find that really frightening like if you see like an animal about to attack it's that that you're they're not going on um some sort of idea that they've thought thought through it's just full-on rage yeah that scares that scares the living crap out of me <laughs> I love that I think that's the re-watching the uh recently that's the thing that really stuck out to me is just how angry she is mm -hmm. and how she manifests that rage mm -hmm. and how that's her key driving force really it's raged against stefan it's rage against the humans who are destroying or polluting her her natural space yeah. and kind of rage against um kind of a, a betrayal of trust as well by them yeah 
all the time again and again and again yeah. and even when like i said in that film when aurora sort of tells her yeah. to cover up another huge betrayal yeah uh yeah, it just keeps on happening. In Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, which is a sequel mm-hmm. to the 2014 film, what elements do you think expand or build on the mythos of Maleficent or kind of the the representation of witches on screen? Well, what I've always loved, I guess we always associate Maleficent and dragons because she turns into one in Sleeping Beauty and in the second one she turns her crow into a dragon um, which I think is quite a nice way around the idea of her transforming I think they did that quite well Um, and instead of her transforming into a dragon in the sequel we see the iconography of the phoenix and I think that was so interesting because we always imagine the phoenix it has such positive connotations in our mythology and about rebirth and uh, rising from the ashes etc everyone knows this I don't need to like reiterate that so in that same way that um, I think for our generation we think of Fawkes we think of the phoenix in Harry Potter and every all the good and everything that he represents and how he comes like really in moments of need for Harry and for Dumbledore And so seeing her sort of being reborn as a phoenix in this, Maleficent being reborn as a phoenix, I thought was a really exciting, interesting move on their part because it doesn't have those same horrible, derogatory, negative connotations that a dragon has. You know, when you're like, oh, that woman was awful. She's such an old dragon. You know, it's always and so so female, like orientated, like negative derogatory comments. And this completely gets away from that she is the rescuer she is born out of fire uh, but in a very different kind of way the fire from a phoenix is yeah it's it's definitely seen in a much more positive light I think um so I really loved that and it's like I know this is just coincidence but like the idea of um mother of dragons you know in Mm. in in Game of Thrones and how she used the dragons to destroy everything and how it could have been the same sort of idea in this because she does kind of go on a bit of a rampage but <laughs> for very different reasons and as a as a phoenix as well like essentially rescuing uh, aurora from the other evil witch an actual evil witch michelle pfeiffer so it's like her second time as an evil witch she plays like the the queen who delves who's very manipulative but still delves into um I suppose it's more I'm trying to think is there actually magic involved in that I don't know if there is um but she's still portrayed in the same witch-like way of poisoning like the hollowed with the poisoned apple this again it's like the poison spindle needle um so she's sort of taking all that we thought Maleficent was uh, and sort of building that into her own um I don't know iconography mm. her abuse of power and yeah i thought that was again really like i've said really interesting ideas in both films just not as well executed as they mm-hmm. should have been would you like to see a proper dark gritty maleficent yes of like, course like even gother i would love that i would love to have one without any like disney <laughs> stuff in it like i love disney but i would love to have full-on maleficent without it being disnified without there being like a good princess without there being um you know everything being beautiful and wonderful you know i just i would love to see how that would manifest itself if maleficent was sort of left to her own devices i love it yeah who would play her <laughs> oh god that's difficult do you Still know angelina <laughs> yeah, she would do a great job um 
Do you know, I think, I think um, Zazie Beats would make such a good Maleficent. Interesting. I think she has, we've often seen her in like quite positive yeah. roles. And I'd really like to see her switch and do something. You'd like to see her go mean. Yeah. Yeah. I really would because I feel like, not she's got it in her, I'm not, I don't think like <laughs> she's evil or anything. But I think she has got so much more to show the world what she can do. And I think that would be a role that would really. And also, you know, the her. villains are often the juiciest characters for of actors. Of course they are. And everyone says how much they love playing mm. baddies. Everyone always says, oh, I really hope that I get to play the baddie instead of the good like hero or heroine again yeah. they get people get tight cast don't they so yeah i think that would be great god that's such great casting oh cool thank you so much for your time <laughs> and for welcome. your insight what are you up to next where can people find anything about your work i'm a film and tv reviewer on bbc6 music every monday morning with lauren laverne at nine 40, 9.30 a.m. I should know this. <laughs> it's always so early. 9.30 a.m. BBC Six Music. That's, uh, yeah, every Monday. And I've got a I've got a video essay coming out actually on the iPlayer. So you can watch that. It's called Disney Divas and it is all about the villains of Disney. So we do talk about witches. Um, I talk about Scar. I talk about, talk about everything. It's interesting. It's only like five minutes long. Give it a watch. I'd be really grateful if you did. Listen well, all of you. The princess shall indeed grow in grace and beauty, beloved by all who meet her. And that is all for this episode of the Final Girls Podcast. If you enjoy our conversation, please subscribe to the feed and rate the podcast on iTunes. It would be so very helpful. And if you want us to discuss a particular witch from film or TV history, please do drop us a line. We can be found on social media, on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at The Final Girls UK. Before the sun sets on her 16th birthday, she will prick her finger on the spindle of a spinning wheel and fall into a sleep like death. A sleep from which she will never Maleficent, please don't do this. I'm begging you. I like you begging. Do it again.